The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Well, this morning, uh, you guys have been in a series called uh, Going Home. It's on the Psalms of Ascent. The, these Psalms are road trip songs for, for the nation of Israel. They, they would be sung, there's about 15 of them, and they would be sung as people were going up to Jerusalem for the, the many feasts, the three major feasts that were held in Jerusalem every year. And so this morning, we're in Psalm 131. If you have a, a, a Bible, um, I encourage you to, to turn there. It'll also be on the screen behind me. Um, but as we've, you have been in this series, uh, I've been asked to share kind of the introductory um, uh, uh, introduction, introductory introduction to uh, to this series. Um, so would you uh, would you, as you flip there, um, uh, join me in this? In each one of us is a deep, inherent longing to be home, a place of peace and security. Home is the place we finally belong, but the road back home is often long and dangerous. The people of God would sing these psalms of ascent as they traveled towards Jerusalem to worship God. We now learn these songs as we travel together to a new Jerusalem. We are still on our way home. We are longing for a better country, a heavenly one. We believe that home is found only with God, and God has invited us to come home. And these are songs for that journey. Uh, So if you have your Bibles open to Psalm 131, or you have uh, this wonderful card that was painted by someone very talented, if I had to guess, this is a rendition of a Conrad Berg and his mom, Rachel, uh, maybe circa 2005. Uh, I don't know if that's real. That's just my best guess. but uh, Psalm 131, and I love that even in these moments, uh, as, a, as a semi-outsider coming in, the Refuge Church will never cease to cling to God's word. So even this week, uh, we, we focus and we settle our hearts on the trustworthy, never-changing word of God. Psalm 131 says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things that are too great or too marvelous for me, but I've calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child with its mother is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. I don't know that I know a greater psalm, a nugget of scripture that could encourage the Refuge Church where you are at this morning, on the on the precipice of not knowing, on the on, on, in the midst of so much chaos and uncertainty and noise, and perhaps even anxiety, enters in a word about being calmed and quieted by the love of our Father, by becoming nearer and closer to Him, by never dropping our eyes from Him. Uh, this this psalm was written. By, by King David. And I don't know exactly when, scholars don't know exactly when it would have been written. Perhaps it was before he actually became inducted as king. He may have been the anointed king of Israel. And at that time, we know that he would have been hunted by King Saul. That was a pretty anxious time of consternation in David's life. 
Or perhaps this was the time after he had already become king. And it it was the time where he was responsible for ruling an entire nation of millions of people. Can you imagine the anxiety and the stress that that could cause a person? Where you're uh, trying to protect it from raids from Canaanites and Ammonites and mosquito bites and all of those things. All the ites. What, what, a, what a life David lived. A life of constant pressure. Even before he became king, he was a hunted man. And so what we know is that no matter what point in time David had written this psalm, it was probably not an easy time. Verse 1 is a list of things that David chooses not to do. He says, I have not. My heart is not. My eyes are not. I do not occupy myself. This is, this is a list of things that David has chosen not to do. Not to do. He says, my heart is not lifted up. I'm not proud. My My eyes are not raised too high. I'm not arrogant. I do not occupy myself with things that are too great or too marvelous for me. Now, now this is interesting because since David is king, you might say if anybody should be allowed to be proud, arrogant, and occupied with marvelous and great things, it's the king. Like, like we wouldn't blame him if he was a little proud. He's the king after all. We wouldn't blame him if he was perhaps a little arrogant. He's the king after all. And who should be occupied with great and marvelous things but the king? Those are his concerns. He's got a nation to rule. He's got things made of gold to worry about. If anybody should be able to worry a little bit or or get kind of into some really intense business transactions or, or, or marvelous great circumstances, it should be the king. But here's King David who has chosen, made a conscious decision not to become proud. It's wonderful that we have an example in Scripture of a human being who throws off arrogance and pride like it is a plague. Such a good example for us. He's chosen not to occupy himself with trivial things like so many of us often do, like I do. And verse 2 is then the list of things that David has done. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. What wonderful intentionality David has. He is intentionally chosen. He doesn't say, but my soul just happens to be calm and quiet right now. What a a wonderful coincidence. I happen to be going through a lot, but I just happen to be chill about it. David chooses to calm and quiet his soul. I have. I have calmed and quieted my soul. And the word picture that we'll talk about this morning is that that he paints to to kind of give us a a picture of where his soul is at is like a weaned child with its mother. Relaxing like this, this picture on the front of our verse card. Relaxing, enjoying with a smile on his face the presence of who? Of God. Of God. I grew up. Uh, I grew up backpacking and hiking. Um, and here's here's a picture of me when I was a, a little guy, as a little fella. I, I think I was rubbing the sleep out of my eyes. And and this happens to probably be the moment. You know when you're when you sleep in a tent and you sleep a little too long and the sun starts shining through and it becomes a sweat box very suddenly. This is that moment. I'm pretty sure. Um, 
But I, I grew up backpacking and loving hiking through the woods with my, my friends and my dad who taught me how to backpack. And, and one of the things I love the most about backpacking and hiking um, is, is that fact that y- y- you are just so much less distracted by things that you would have been distracted by down at the bottom of the mountain. I used to um, want to hang out with my dad and play catch or do whatever on a Saturday morning. And what he would often say to me is, do you want to go to Costco with me? Do you want to rake the lawn with me? Do you, do you want to come do a home improvement project with me? But up in the mountains, there was no lawn to take care of. I loved that. Up in the mountains, there was no home improvement to happen. There was no home up in the mountains. Just our tent to set up. Up in the mountains, there were no errands to run. You just had to gather a little bit of firewood. And the rest of the time is spent together. Just enjoying each other. And I got the undivided, wonderful attention of my dad during these kinds of trips. And, and from my friends as well. And we, and we would spend the evenings around the fire, gazing up at the stars and sharing stories that made us laugh that we had never heard ever before. These were good moments, moments of of intimacy, moments of simplicity, quiet, calm, so simple. Just me and my friends and my dad and the stars and a campfire and a tent. I love hiking so much that it has followed me into my adult life. A few years ago, I took a backpacking trip through Mongolia with some, some friends of mine. Um, and we, we were sharing the gospel with nomads all throughout uh, one of the least visited provinces in Mongolia. That was a lot of fun. That was a really fun, amazing time of seeing God moving. And, and just to kind of paint a picture of the kind of intimacy that we would share, uh, there was one night, it was so cold. It was in July, but it was freezing. We had, we had wool socks over our hands because it was snowing on the 4th of July. And all six of us got into a three-person tent, and we just began to have a time of sharing uh, kind of some of our deepest, darkest secrets with each other. Ooh, right? Like, like best friends do. And we were going around and we were saying things like, I bet you didn't know this about me. Or here's something I haven't ever told anyone ever before. And we'd, you know, just get totally sucked in. And my friend Stefan said, I bet you didn't know that my real name is not Stefan. And I was, I was in it. I was like, tell me more. Why would you replace your real name with Stefan? You know? <laughs> like of all the names that you could have chosen, why that one? What must your real name be? And he said, my real name, and he was 100% serious, 20 years old at the time, is Larry. That was his real name. These moments uh, where we just have intimacy, quiet intimacy, where real things happen, where, where those stories get shared and those sweet times are shared, is the same kind of intimacy that we ought to long for with God. Just simple moments Calm and quiet, not obstructed, not distracted, not filled with noise or chaos or phones or computers or cars or jobs or stuff. Just a moment with the one for whom we were made. We were made for God. This is something that David knows full well. He writes just a few Psalms later in Psalm 139, he says, I was knit together 
in my mother's womb by God. He attributes his, his very existence to God. He said he was made for and by God. He, he says, you saw my unformed substance. My unformed form. You wrote down in, in your book every day that I would live before I had lived even one of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O oh God. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the sands and the sea. David knows who he was made by and whom he was made for. Isaiah chapter 43 says, in the voice of God, it says, Call, call those whom I created. Call them all from the north and the south and the east and the west. Those whom I created, whom I formed and made for my glory. And when Jesus called the 12 disciples in Mark chapter 3, it says he called the 12 for two reasons. Mark chapter 3 says he called them so that they might be with him. Just that they might be with him. And secondly, that he might send them out to preach and to cast out demons and to teach and do all those things. But what a wonderful truth to know that God has called us first and foremost simply to be with him. You and I are called not just to work for God, but to be with God, to enjoy him. And we know that we can enjoy him when we're with him because Psalm 16 says that in his presence, there's fullness of joy. We were made not for stuff. We were not made to work. We were not made to play. We were not made to to till and to toil and to exhaust ourselves, those things were made for us. Things, jobs, were made for us. God gave us the earth so that we would subdue it. It was made for us. We weren't made for it. We were made for God. We weren't made for things. Things were made for us. We were made for God. This is the only thing that we were made for, just to be with God to glorify God, to be used by God. And here, David chooses not to justify a lifestyle of pride and arrogance and being really busy and working on things that are trivial. He chooses not to do that, even though he's one of the only people that could. Do we do that? I know I do. I know that oftentimes... I think about how close I could be to God, how close I should be to God, how attainable it is if I would just give a few minutes to the person that my heart was made by and for. But I go, oh, I have things to do and stuff to buy, and I have to work hard to buy those things, to do the things that I want to do. I begin to make excuses. When was the last time I just shut my phone off to get a quiet moment? with the person that I was made for? When was the last time that I gave up a Friday night with Netflix to spend a few minutes with the one whom I was made for? We can justify all day long the reasons why we're not as close as we could be to God, but even here, a king chooses not to. We have a great example by which to live that that a king would give up all the things that could distract him from his walk with the Lord and exchange it for what? To have a calmed and quieted soul. 
to be so close to God that he's like a weaned child with his mother. Uh, in, in Mongolia, during that hiking trip, I, I sat with my friends in a, in a yurt, uh, kind of this felt-covered, round, Mongolian-style house, just about six feet tall. And it was small, but we began to share a moment with some nomads. And, and the woman of the house, her name was Jemse. And Jemse was listening to us share the gospel with her. And she was so intrigued and she was invested. But her, her toddler, or maybe really her child, probably six years old, began to become antsy and anxious and start rapping on his mom and knocking on his mom. And, and eventually what she did floored me. She, she unsheathed herself. And she put her six-year-old up to her breast and began to feed him. And I thought to myself, everything is wrong right now. This is, nothing about this moment is right. But she, she kind of slapped him on and, and asked us to just keep sharing. So we, did, we just kept sharing with this woman who was breastfeeding her six-year-old. I, I don't know. You know, it's been a long time since I personally have been weaned. Um, I don't consider myself an expert on it, it has been a while, after all, since I have stopped uh, uh, being breastfed by my mom. Uh, but I think six is a little old for, for this transaction to happen. Uh, there's like a, you must be this short to ride the ride kind of, kind of a footnote. And, uh, and, and so in this moment, I, I, I thought about Am, am, I ask myself a bizarre question. Am I weaned? <laughs> As a Christian, am I yet weaned? And I want to ask you the same awkward question. Church, are you spiritually weaned yet? Or every time you want something, do you get worried that your Father in Heaven is not going to give it to you? And so you begin to cry and kick and make a noisy fuss, and perhaps make a mess in your spiritual diaper. (laughs) Do you trust your father? Are you spiritually weaned? There's a a couple things that go along with being weaned. The first thing is it's, it's uncomfortable. Being weaned is uncomfortable for the child. They, they, don't want anything to change. I, I know one six-year-old at least who was happy to not be weaned. It's an, un- an uncomfortable process. It's a process of learning how to trust that your, your parent is going to provide for you. God's plan for us is to move us into that happy land, that happy land uh, of, of going from milk to food, that, that happy place of loving God not because he gives us stuff, but because he's God. The child wants something from the mom. The unweaned child wants milk, but the milk is not the mom. The weaned child, if it is with its mother, and that's what David likens himself to, a weaned child who is with his mother, If a weaned child is with his mother, it's because he wants the mother. I love love the picture, just the small little grin on on this child's face with his mom. I imagine that David, with God, felt something like that. He he doesn't paint an image. He He doesn't say, I am a king. My soul is like a conqueror. 
My soul is like a victor that cuts off the head of his enemies. He gives us a a different picture, remarkably different picture. I am like a child who's been weaned and is just cuddled up to my parent, smiling with a faint grin on my face because I just love to be with that person. And this is the picture that we get of David with God. Despite all that is certainly swirling around him, he chooses, again, I have. He makes an intentional choice to forgo the comforts that he may deserve, forgo the pride that he could feel, the arrogance that he could feel. And what does he forfeit? What does he give it up to? To God, just so that he can get the Father. And what does he want? He doesn't just want the benefits of God. He doesn't want the milk that God could give him. He just wants God. Some of us, if we are honest, myself included, some days I don't want God. I just want what God can give me. I long for that simple place where I can say, Lord, I just feel like a a kid that just wants to be near you, just wants to cuddle up against you and never leave. So the first point is that this process is uncomfortable. The second point is that it is intentional. David says, I have. I have calmed and quieted my soul. There's a partnership and a cooperation. David doesn't just like uh, end up in Tom Hanks' movie Big, like I used to be unwin, and now I'm just big now. He He has done something. And what has he done? He has calmed and quieted his soul. And and I love that this is a process, that weaning is a process. So what I hope you feel this morning is not condemnation for not being where you ought to be, but that there's grace and that God is actually encouraging us a little deeper. Today, he encourages me just to go a little deeper. I'm not there yet? Okay, just come on a little deeper. Let's do a little more today. Can, can you step into my presence, stay a little longer, go a little deeper today? This is an intentional process that we step into. God isn't guilting us. He's not condemning us. He is just inviting us, just calling us deeper, giving us a challenge today. A couple barometer type questions for you to, to kind of gauge where you might be at with this weaning process at this point in your walk with the Lord are the same questions that I'm asking myself. The first question is, are you near him? Are you near him? The weaned child in, in this picture and in, in, and in this picture is near the parent. Are you? Are you near your father? Are you near your heavenly father? Or if you're honest with yourself, are you making excuses for why you're not there yet? Perhaps in your heart, you just don't feel like you need God that much. You kind of feel like I would be closer to him if I needed anything from him, but I don't. So therefore, I'm not that close to him. But if I need something, I know where to find it. This is not God's plan for us. That is not weaning. That is empty nesting. And God is not an empty nester. He has no intention of getting us until we're spiritually 18 and then saying, you're on your own now. Go do whatever. You want to go to college? Great. You want to get a job? Great. He doesn't do that. God's plan for us 
is verse three, that we would be with him, hope in him from this time forward and forevermore. He has a forevermore kind of love for his kids that he never wants us to leave. In the words of A.W. Tozer, cozy up to the warm presence of God and never leave. Never leave. This is what it means to abide. In the words of John 15, abide in me and I in you. Abide in the vine that you might be, bear much fruit. The word abide just means remain. Don't leave so quickly. If you leave today, if you leave from this place, from this church gathering, don't take the mind that you're not going to be around God until you get back here next week. Be with him at all times. Every moment this week, as you go to the barber shop or go in a gas station or go to pick up your paycheck or go play soccer with whomever you do that with, be with God. He's with you. He longs to be with you. He longs for you to be near him. Why? Because you weren't made for the barbershop. The barbershop was made for you. You weren't made for the paycheck. The paycheck was made for you. You weren't made to play soccer. Soccer was made so that you might enjoy it. You were made for God, so be with God. And if that is the case, that you're struggling with kind of this empty nest mentality for how you live and do your life with God, understand that you're not actually weaned yet. You're not a weaned child. You've just found a different breast. Maybe it's the breast of a paycheck or video games or a working car or home improvement projects. But if you are weaned, then you love the presence of your father. Then you cozy up to him and you never want to leave because you know who he is and you know what you were made for. You know who you are and whose you are. Second barometer question is, do you trust in God even when God begins to take away the very thing that you think you need? Even as the the breast and the milk is taken away from the baby, the baby has to learn to trust. Has to learn to trust that the mother's going to provide. With your spiritual father, as he begins to take away things you really feel like you need, do you trust him? Do you wait on him? Do Do you hope in him? Do you have a confident expectation that he will provide all of your needs because that's who he is? Can you look like David probably looked and look back in the story of your life and go, you know what, he's never failed me, not once, not ever. What am I so worried about today? He's good. He's always been good. He will always be good to me. That's the only thing I, 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 can, I can accurately guess about my future is that God will be good. When he begins to take away your paycheck, Do you trust him? When he takes away your working car, do you trust him? When he, when he takes you through a season where your health is threatened, will you trust him? Your your pastoring family, their health has been threatened. And one thing I can say with perfect confidence as a friend to your church and as an outsider is that the Frederick family is like a weaned child with its mother. Their soul is like a weaned child within them, close and cozy to the presence of God. They have calmed. They have chosen because they know who their God is and they've gone through the hard weaning process. They have chosen to cozy up They have chosen to calm and quiet their souls within them. Why? To trade 
in all that could be worried about, all the trivial matters, all the arrogance and pride that they could feel for who they are and the things they've accomplished through this amazing place. They've just traded it in to know God and know that he is good and know that he will provide and know that whatever happens, they can trust him. The only instruction that we get from this psalm as to how to get that calmed and quieted soul is found in verse 3. O Israel, O people of God, and how much relevance this bears not only to ancient Israel, but also to you and I, hope in the Lord from this time forward and forevermore. And you, you and I have such a great hope in Jesus Christ. All of the chaos, all of the pain, all of the uncomfortability has been suffered already by Jesus Christ so that we might obtain a great calm over our souls, a great peace. And you and I, if you have trusted in Jesus, we have obtained eternal peace, eternal calm, eternal quiet over the noise and the chaos of sin and death. But we also continue to grow every day by that same hope. The same thing that saved us is the same thing that grows us in our Christian life. It's hope and faith in Jesus Christ. It's the acceptance and the the reiterance of the gospel every day. The song I sang when I was that little guy was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And now as I've grown and walked with Jesus for almost 30 years, you know what song I'm singing? I'm not singing orthodox songs of liturgy and high choir songs or whatever. I'm singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. I'm still singing the same gospel. My life hasn't graduated out of the gospel. I haven't moved out of God's house. I still want to be near him. And the song I still want to sing is Jesus paid it all. It's all him. I've got nothing. It's just Jesus. And it's the very same thing that is growing me in my life and maturing me as a man of God. And I'm not there I haven't arrived, but I cling with hope like I hope you are clinging to this morning to Jesus Christ, staking it all on him. I wasn't made for stuff. You weren't made for stuff. We weren't made for events or things. We were made for God. Church this morning, cozy up to him. Cozy up and never leave like a weaned child with its mother. You and I were made for God. Let's pray. Oh, King Jesus, this morning, would you teach us how to sing the gospel again? As we sing these psalms of ascent, Lord, we, we sing out, even as we're led in worship here in just a moment, we sing out that we trust you. We sing out that you are good, you have always been good, and you will be good. Oh God, we trade in all the things we could worry about, all the things we could be proud of, all the arrogance that we could assume we trade it in just to be close to you. Oh, Father, would you be near to us? You promised that you would draw near to those that draw near to you. So we count on you this morning as we lift up our eyes, as we take our eyes off of the things that are distracting us from your presence. As we put them on you, we trust that you are going to draw near to us as well. Father, be kind to us. We count on you. It's who you are. And we also pray that you would be who you are, kind to the Frederick family this morning. Be kind to them, oh God. 
Father, I thank you for the saints all around this county and the churches surrounding this place who have just such a deep love for this spiritual family at the refuge and are contending with you this morning. Would you hear their prayers? Would you be kind to us? In your name, amen.